Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Today we don't come from the Mizrahi Bet Midrash because we are living in troubled times where we can't leave our houses, basically. So this comes to you from my personal Bet Midrash, which is my study, which actually doesn't look like the picture behind me. That is a fake to make it look more Jewish. Um, my personal Bet Midrash, which I'm calling Ohel Aharon in honor of my father. And that's where I go to Shul and that's where I go to learn. And that's where I broadcast this podcast or this Zoom meeting from. So welcome all and those who might be listening subsequently on the podcast. Now, we are learning Rashi on Bereshit in Parshat Lech Lecha. We started last week and we got almost to the end of Pasuk Bet. And while we were doing that, I noticed something that foolishly I hadn't noticed before, that Rashi seems to go out of order in his comments. If you look at Pasuk Aleph, And then in Pasuk Bet, um, we have Now what Rashi does is he explains the words in Pasuk Aleph, then he goes on to Pasuk Bet and explains and then he goes to explain which means he's gone out of order because the words go back to Pasuk Aleph. So the question is, why does he stop after explaining the beginning of Pasuk Aleph, then explain Pasuk Bet, and then go back to explain the beginning or the end of Pasuk Aleph? So one possible answer in the interest of intellectual honesty is to say that this is a mistake. This is a ta'ut sofer. This is a scribal error which has come along somewhere in the copying process. However, we can do better than that. And the Mephoshim do wonder about this. And I wanted to share with you what the uh, Sefer Zichron has to say. Um, that is one of the early commentaries on Rashi. And he says like this, as I tried to explain last week, Rashi carefully links Pasuk Aleph and Pasuk Bet. He says in Aleph, Lech Lecha, and he says on those words, Lahanotcha Ulatavatcha, it's for your benefit and for your good. And he begins to explain what that benefit and good looks like in his comment on Pasuk Yud Bet. But then the words from Pasuk Bet, sorry, he begins to say in Yud Bet Aleph, but then the words on Pasuk Bet, the Esacha Lagoi Gadol, he brings in at this point, because that's still part of explaining what is the benefit of Lech Lecha. So in other words, uh, I'm just admitting somebody into our meeting. Hello, Madeline. Welcome. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Looks like you can't hear me yet. You're connecting to auto. Now can you hear me? No, you're still, okay, I'm going to carry on anyway. I'm sure you'll work it out. So what I was saying was that um, Rashi uh, needs to explain Pasuk Bet as part of his process in explaining the opening words of Lech Lecha in Pasuk Aleph. So all that he says on Pasuk Bet is to explain the opening words of Pasuk Aleph. When he's finished explaining the opening words of Pasuk Aleph, i.e. he's gone through all of Pasuk Bet, he then goes back to the conclusion of Pasuk Aleph, 
That's how the Sefer HaZichron explains why Rashi seems to be out of order. So we come to the words, and last week we actually talked about um, Rashi's question that hasn't Abraham already left his birthplace? And we see what Rashi saw there. And we also mentioned what Ibn Ezra and Ramban said. And now we get on to the next word. So it's still in Pasuk Aleph, where Hashem says, go to a place which I will show you. I just need to admit somebody else into our little group. Okay, as I say, I'm talking into the ether here. I hope you can all hear me. So in Pasuk, uh, hello? Who's just joined us? Someone that says unknown. All right, however you are, welcome. So on the words, Asher Areka. So Hashem had said to Abraham, go to a land which I will show you. And Rashi says there, lo gila lo ha'aretz miyad. Hashem did not uh, reveal to him the land immediately, but rather, um, in order to make it dear in his eyes, and to give him reward for every word and word, i.e. every word. The point is, if Hashem really wanted to say, go to the land of Canaan, he would have said, go to the land of Canaan. But he didn't say that. He said, go to the land which I will show you. And then later he gets to the land of Canaan and Hashem says, you know what? This is the land that I'm giving you. So Rashi's question is, why didn't Hashem just say, go to the land of Canaan, but rather go to the land which I will show you? So Rashi's given actually two answers to this, and I think it's quite important to distinguish between the two. The first is, to make it dear in his eyes. Now, how does not revealing it make it dear in his eyes? Now, I should say there's a lot of commentary on this comment of Rashi, like there is on most comments of Rashi, but in particular in this one. And uh, what I'd like to share from what I've learned is the idea of keeping Abraham in suspense, of not revealing it immediately, is something that makes something more dear. I mean, I think we can understand this. If uh, Reuben says to Shimon, here's a present, then Shimon's very grateful. But if Reuben says, I'm going to give you a present, and I'm going to give you a present, it's going to be a special present, then Shimon, maybe he's going to get impatient, but he'll also get more excited about the present that he's going to get. So that's Rashi's first answer. And then Rashi says, And to give him reward for every extra word. So when, he say, when Hashem says at the beginning, I'm going to send you to a land which I will show you, and that it requires Hashem subsequently to say, oh, and this is the land. So he's going to have to speak at least twice because of this slightly um, um, hidden style of uh, not revealing something to him at the very beginning. So, uh, by the way, there are many other examples. Rashi often says that a mitzvah is written twice so that, and, and we ask the question, why is a mitzvah written twice? twice. The Torah doesn't waste words. We know that. And Rashi will say in a few places that the mitzvah is written twice so that if you fulfill the mitzvah, you get the reward of two mitzvot because Hashem went out of his way to say it twice. So similarly, Rashi is saying something similar here, not quite within the framework of mitzvot, but in the framework of Hashem's words in general. When Hashem says, 
that I'm going to, get to so go to a land which I will show you. And later on he says, oh, and this is the land. So Hashem has spoken twice. So Abraham gets reward for each of those words. Then Rashi gives some parallel examples. He actually gives three examples. And it's interesting that he gives three examples. So he says, Kiyotsevo. Similarly, we find the following phrase. Et bincha, et yefidcha, asher ahavta, et yitzchak. Hashem tells Abraham at the beginning of the Akedah to take for the purpose of offering up or bringing up, it didn't actually say a sacrifice at the beginning, but that's how Abraham took it, your son, your only son, whom you love, Yitzchak. So there we have Hashem is using extra words to um, refer to the single person. He could have just said, Et Yitzchak. But he gave extra words in order that Hashem, sorry, in order that Abraham could get reward for each of the words. So instead of just saying et Yitzchak, that's one word, one reward, he says et bincha, et yechidcha, asher ahavta, et Yitzchak. It's interesting that this perhaps parallels what Hashem said to Abraham here when he said, go me'artzcha, umimoladatcha, umibeitavicha. Three different places that he's going from, i.e. they're all the same, but three different places that he's going from to show how important and how worthy and how hard is the test that Abraham is being given by Hashem. Similarly, in the Pasuk that Rashi quotes as, a, as, a, as an example of the same idea, Hashem is saying, take your son, which is pretty hard, and the one, your only son, which is even harder, and whom you love, which is even harder, and Yitzchak, who is Yitzchak, who is the great Yitzchak, soon to be Yitzchak Avinu, and that's even harder. So again, that fits with the idea of every word that he gives is an extra challenge and therefore an extra reward. And then Rashi says, there's another example. Now this actually comes from exactly the same episode, almost the same, exactly the same verse, in fact where Hashem says to Abraham at the time of the Akedah, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Yitzchak, and take him to one of the mountains, which I will say to you. And that parallels the other aspect of our Pasuk. Not only is Hashem sort of building up the suspense, um, but he's also not saying now which is the mountain on which uh, uh, the, uh, the Akedah is going to take place, but he's telling Abraham to go to a, a, a non-defined mountain, and when he gets there, Hashem will tell him it's dismounting. So that's the idea of making Hashem, of, of making him more uh, excited about what he's going to have to do, because Hashem doesn't reveal the details in advance. In other words, what I'm trying to say, and perhaps I'm making heavy weather of it, is the two examples Rashi brings match up with the two reasons that Rashi said. The reason that Hashem did not reveal um, at uh, the uh, which land Abraham was going to was number one to give schar to every word, like when he doesn't tell Abraham which mountain to go to for the Akedah, and also to show to increase the love for the mitzvah in Abraham's eyes. That's like the uh, referring to Yitzchak as your son, your only son, whom you love, etc. Now that's very nice. And then Rashi brings a third example. And I have to say, I'm stuck as to precisely why he needs a third example. And to my regret, I couldn't see in the Mephoshim why he needs a third example. So we'll leave that for homework so that you can all go away and think about why Rashi needs a third example. 
And the third example comes from the book of Jonah, which because we read the book of Jonah once a year and we learn about it, we're probably quite familiar with. And it goes like this, Kiyotibo, a similar case, Ukara eleha et asher anochi dover elecha. Hashem says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, which he doesn't do, and call to it the calling which I will say to you. So again, it's a similar example of Hashem not telling him exactly what's going to happen, but saying, I'm going to want you to do something. When you get there, I'll tell you what it is. It's parallel to Hashem not telling him which land he's going to. So my question, which I'm afraid is unanswered, at least by me, is if we've already had two examples which match up with the two elements that Rashi's given us, why does Rashi need a third example? And I couldn't work that out, and nor did I see anyone who talked about it, but maybe I didn't look hard enough. So that finishes Pasat Aleph and Pasat Bet, and as I explained, Rashi sort of intertwines his perush on both of them. So now we come on to Pasat Gimel, and Hashem says, continuing in his blessings to Abraham, he says, I will bless those who bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse. And and all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. And Rashi doesn't have anything to say about the first four words. But he has got something to say about And Rashi says on the words Yesh Agadot Rabot. There are many Midrashic comments. Pshuto. And I'm going to give you what this is. This is the straightforward meaning, the Pshat. Now, the Drashot, which Rashi says, it's worth knowing that they exist, but he's not going to put into his parish because they are not Pshat and they don't answer the question about what does it mean, because as we're about to see, that is satisfactorily answered by the Pshat. But um, the Midrashim say on the words Bacha, in you, and that's the problem, of course, what does it mean they will be blessed in you? So uh, the Midrashim understand that as they will be blessed because of you. They will be blessed for your sake, which is not the Pshat of Bacha, in you. Now Rashi will tell us what the Pshat of Bacha in you is, and it is as follows. Adam Omer Livno Ka A person will say to their child, you should be like Abraham. That is a blessing in you, a blessing in Abraham. So you will be used as an example of someone to aspire to. People will bless each other, but they should be like you. That is the pshat. The problem, again, is the word bacha. They will be blessed in you. Doesn't really make sense. But now Rashi's explained what it means. Now, how does Rashi know that's what it means? So he brings a proof, a very clear proof. So proof, he's so clear. He says, And every example of this sort of phrase, they will be blessed in you in scripture, is meaning the same idea. And then he says, sorry, this is the proof. And this proves it. When Yaakov, ill and on his deathbed, blesses his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, he says, in you, 
will be blessed, or sorry, Israel will bless. Israel will bless in you. And it's the same Bechah in you. And then Yaakov goes on to explain what that means. People will say about their children or, or, or acquaintances, Hashem should make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So there we have a reference to people being blessed or the other people being blessed in certain individuals in Ephraim and Manasseh. And we are told exactly what that means. It means people will say to each other, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. So that proves that they will be blessed in you, in you, Abraham, means the same thing that people will say to their children, may you be like Abraham. And that is the pshat of Nivrachu Vacha. And that is all that Rashi has to say on it. And Rashi has nothing to say on Pasuk Dalad, but we'll read it nevertheless for uh, completeness. Avram Hashem. Avraham, Avram, we are calling him Avraham, went as Hashem said to him, using the understanding of the words that we discussed earlier. And Lot went with him. And Avram was 75 years when he went out from Haran. I'll just tell you that when we get to the Brit Benavatarim, which will be quite a while away, but when we get there, we will discuss whether it is true that Abraham was 75 years at this time. Well, obviously it is, because the Torah says he was 75 years. And yet, when we do the maths about the 430 years of the slavery from, or sorry, the 430 years that the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, will be in a land which is not theirs. Um, and if we look at Rashi there, it turns out that that must have been said when Abraham was not 75, but when he was 70. But we'll leave that to discuss later on. Now we come on to Pasuk Hay. And it says, Ve'yikach Avram et Sarai ishto, Avram took Sarai his wife, ve'et Lot ben Achiv, and Lot his uh, nephew, ve'et kol ruchusham, and all their wealth, all their property, asher rachashu, that they had acquired, ve'et ha-nefesh asher asu b'charan, and the souls which they had asu, which will translate as made in Haran, and they went to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to the land of Canaan. Just by the way, I've said before, but that's contrasted in my mind with Perakid Aleph, Pasak Lamad Aleph, where we hear of the same journey undertaken one generation before with almost the same cast of characters. In Perak Yudala Pasik Lamad Allah, Bayikah Terachit Avram, Bano, Bet Lot Ben Haran, Ben Bano, Bet Sarai Kalato, Eshad Avram, Bano, the Yetsu Itam, the Orkastim, the Lechet Arzakanam, Terach, and all his Gansa Mishpacha went to the set out to go to Kanam, Bayabo at Haran, Bayeshlusha, and they came to Haran and they stopped there. And I, I think this isn't Rashi, this is really just me actually that um, this Pasuk is contrasting with that Pasuk to say Abraham, unlike his father, set off on the journey to get to Canaan, and they came to the land of Canaan, unlike Terach, who came to Haran and stopped there. Anyway, what does Rashi say? So Rashi has a problem on the words Asher Asu Baharan. The Nefesh, the souls, which they, who's they, had made in Haran. How do you make a soul? It's very hard to make a soul. As the 
uh, the Midrash says on this verse, if the whole world got together, they would not be able to make one little beetle. So how can it be that Abraham makes souls? So Rashi brings two answers. Let's understand what they are. Let's understand the order in which he brings them. So Rashi says, nisan, or another version is, tachat kanfei hashchina. He brought them under the wings of the Shekhinah. In other words, he converted them. And then we go on to say, Abraham Magaya et Hanashim, the Sarah Magaya et Hanashim. Abraham converted the men, Sarah converted the women. Now, why does it have to be two of them? Why Abraham and Sarah? Because of a share Asu in the plural, they had made. So the fact that it's Asu in the plural implies it wasn't just Abraham, it must have been Abraham and someone else. Who's to someone else? Answer, his life partner, Sarai. So, then it says, And the Pasuk considers them as if they made them. So Rashi is explicit that it doesn't mean they really made them. They weren't like some sort of uh, fashioning a golem and imbuing it with life. It doesn't mean that they really made them, but rather it means I'm sorry for all the noises coming on my computer, by the way. Um, I don't know how to turn them all off individually. But it means that um, they had converted them, and it's as if they had made them. A few things to say. By the way, um, this question is often asked, and this isn't Rashi, but I'll mention it because it relates to this Rashi. What happened to all these converts? Abraham and Sarai made converts. doesn't say how many, but it's a plural. So it uh, must have been a few and they came with them, and yet when we come to the time of Yitzchak, after Abraham has died, there's nobody else. There's nobody around with Yitzchak. And when it comes to Yaakov, similarly, Yaakov's all on his own. So what happened to all these converts? So I, I heard, and I think it's in the name of the Gra, the Vilna Gaon, that Abraham is the first of the patriarchs. Abraham is the midder of Chesed, basically being kind. Yitzchak represents the midder, the attribute of Gevura, self-judgment. Now, when it comes to being kind, it's quite easy to acquire, relatively easy to acquire converts. People will join in to that message of be nice to people. But when you also have the message of gvura, of strength, of self-judgment, it's a much more austere. It's not quite so much fun and, uh, and, and nice and fluffy. That is a, a message of Judaism that doesn't keep converts. So it's said that even Abraham made these converts, when they came to the Yitzchak-type element of Yadut, of Judaism, he didn't keep the converts. And then, nor, did they, well, nor were they there in the time of Yaakov, who in a sense is the synthesis of Abraham and Yitzchak. Okay, the next thing to say is, well, let's carry on with the Rashi. Because then Rashi says, Upshuto shal mikra, the simple meaning of the text, it means avadim ushvachot shakanu lahem servants and female servants which they had acquired and then rashi brings two hi, examples Kenard. of how hi. hello hi rabbi Kenard. it's shira yes hello shira hi i've just got a bit of a question on the rashi that you just read about yes please um first of all what happened with the old souls like um the souls before they were converted um and also it still just seems like such a weird I don't know. So I can't hear the second question clearly. It, 
I still don't understand how they made souls. Like by converting people, they got a new soul. It was like a rebirth. Well, exactly right. So we understand that someone who converts, at least in the halakhic sense, and this I, I don't think was a halakhic conversion because it was pre-Sinai, but somebody who converts is kakotan shanolad, is like a child reborn. Um, and we also know that uh, from Rashi, the beginning of, think about it, um, that one who teaches their uh, other people's children is as if they are their children. So in both ways, it's as if the person is uh, somehow created and related to the person who converted them. Taking those two points, that a, kata, a, a, a ger is kakotan shanalad, like a, a child who's born, and taking the point that a person who teaches Torah uh, to somebody else's child is as if they're their child. So putting those two together, it's as if that the person doing the converting makes the new person. But Rashi is careful to say, ke'ilu, as if he made them. Sorry, Shira, have I related to your question? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, do you know where I can read up more of this about making souls and that? Um, no. Um, Which is quite fascinating. Yeah. Um, sorry, um, I don't know. Okay. I haven't got any more to say than just the two points that I've just given. Thank you so much. Okay. So thank you for the question. It is nice to feel I'm interacting. I'm sitting here staring at myself, especially because I can't see pictures of the other people here, Shira, Madeline and Ash. Um, but it's nice to have some interaction. It's nice to know that you're there. Okay, um, so the second point is, so, so the second shot of Rashi is that asu means acquired. And then Rashi brings two psukim to prove this. So the first is, comes from, um, Later on in Bereshit, Perak Lamad Aleph, it's referring to Yaakov um, making wealth when he was shepherding the flocks of Laban. And the Pasuk there says, Asa et kol hakavod hazer. He has made, or let's just leave it as Asa, all this literally uh, heaviness, but it's heaviness in goods, in property. So he's made all this property. It means he's acquired all this property. And the other Pasuk actually comes from Bilam from the Nebuah of Bilam about what's going to happen to the Jews in the future. And he says, the Yisrael oser chayil. And the Jews will literally make, uh, chayil here means wealth. So again, the word asa in relation to property or money or stuff. And again, we will translate that not as made, but as acquired. So Rashi says the pshat is the word asa means to acquire. That is a meaning of the word. We can see that from the other pasukim, and that's the pshat. The midrash is to say the word doesn't really mean made. It's as if he made it. It's not pshat because it doesn't really mean asa. It's ke'ilo asa. Now, the question is, why does Rashi go against his normal style? And he brings the midrash first before the pshat. Normally, more often, he brings the Peshat and says, this is the Peshat, this is what the word actually means. And now I'll tell you what it midrashically means. Here he does it the other way around. So the Maskele David, who, as you know, is my go-to source for why Rashi brings more than one explanation, says there's a big problem with the second explanation, the Peshat explanation. And it's such a big problem that it makes the Peshat second best, even though it is the Peshat, even though it's the best translation of the word Asa. And the big problem, 
I'll invite anyone to unmute and suggest what they think the big problem is. If you look at this Pasuk from the beginning or through the middle, you'll see maybe what the muscular David thinks is the big problem. But nobody's unmuting, nobody's having a go, so it comes to me. So the muscular David says the words, et kol rechusham asher rachashu, all the property which they had acquired. So if the nefesh asher asu means the servants and the maidservants which they had acquired, that's part of property, albeit human, but it's human property. Why isn't that included in asher, et kol rechusham asher rachashu? It should be included. So says the muscular David, that is the deficiency in the second parish, even though it's the Peshat, even though it's a legitimate translation of the word Asa, nevertheless, it's insufficient because of that problem, which is why it gets relegated to be put second. Madeleine, have you got a question? Uh, not a question, but a comment. A comment. Um, Very well. It kind of reminds me of how B'nai Israel acquired wealth um, when they left Mitzrayim. They didn't necessarily earn it, but they received it when they went out. I think from memory, it could be Midrash that I'm saying, but I'm not sure. Well, they, when they got it from the Egyptians, you mean? Yeah. And does the word Asa appear or? Mm, I don't know. Okay. It, just, it was just, I got reminded of it okay. more than anything. They, they, they certainly acquired wealth. Yeah. Um, without, without, well, I was going to say without working for it. They worked for 210 years for it. So yeah. Working for it. But yes, they acquired I guess, wealth. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay. So now we move on to, I'm sorry, we haven't quite finished. Interestingly, the last words of Rashi, uh, I think are interesting. He ends this comment with Lashan Koner Vukones. It's an expression of acquiring and entering, as in bringing under the word he used before, Shehichnisan Tachat Kanpea bringing them under the, the wings of the Shechina. So I think his conclusion is to relate to both explanations of Asa, it refers to koner, acquiring, but it also refers to uh, bringing in, although looking at it, and maybe I'm wrong, actually. Um, that was a nice idea, what I said, that Rashi's referencing both his ideas. But kanus means to bring in, as in bring in all your produce, as in get your stuff together. Uh, kanus is like uh, assembly, like Knesset. But uh, it also refers to bringing on in all your produce. Um, the time of Knisa is the time of bringing your produce from the fields. So maybe my nice idea was wrong. And his words at the end refer to the second Bashat, which, which actually fits sort of in the structure of this Rashi. Having said that Asa means um, they acquired wealth, Nefesh Asha Subacharan means the servants and the maidservants, which is part of their wealth. That's because Asa is an expression of Konevakonos, acquiring and gathering. Pasuk Vav. The Pasuk says, Avram Abraham passed over the land. Well, Steve Rashi has to say about that. Ad Makom Shechem, until the place of Shechem. Ad Elon Mareh, until Elon Mareh. The Hakanani Az Ba'aretz. And the Canaanite was then in the land. So Rashi, first of all, on the word Vayavor, Avram Ba'aretz, explains it in a um, uh, oddly short Rashi. It says, Nichnas Latocha. He entered into it. Why does Rashi have to say he entered into it? What does Rashi mean? So the problem is the word Bayavora, which means pass. And you normally expect it in the context of passing through. He passed through the land. He went from A on one side to B on the other side of the land. That's really what Bayavor means. 
but it doesn't mean that here. And it doesn't mean that here for two reasons. One is because of the narrative that clearly Abraham did not pass through the land from one side to the other and came out, I know, in the Mediterranean Sea, or if he went in a different direction, came out in Egypt. That's not what happened. He went to Shechem, which is in the land. He went to Elon Moreh, which is in the land. So it doesn't mean he passed through the land from one side to the other. The other reason that Rashi has to say that is because that's what the Pasuk means with the letter bet. The letter bet. Which letter bet? The word ba'aretz. So it's Avram passed in the land. Now that actually represents a contradiction. It should have said Avram passed the land, which would have meant ba'yavo Avram ha'aretz. That would be the way we say he passed over the land from one side to the other, or he passed through the land. But Vayavo Avram Ba'aretz is not the usual formulation. So how do we explain Vayavo Avram Ba'aretz? He passed in the land. That is why Rashi says, Kanas He entered into it. So both for the purpose of understanding the story of what's coming next, where clearly he doesn't pass onto the other side, and because of the grammatical problem of the bet before the word Ha'aretz, or rather the word Aretz, Rashi explains, but it doesn't mean he passed from one side to the other, but rather he entered into it. Then we get to Rashi on Admakom Shechem, until the place of Shechem. Says Rashi, Lehit Palel El Al Bnei Yaakov, to pray for the sons of Yaakov when they came to fight in Shechem. Now, the first thing to say is Rashi is of no doubt that Abraham has Ruach HaKodesh. More than that, he has the, the ability to be a Navi. He is a Navi. He, a Navi, strictly speaking, does not necessarily mean who normally knows the future, or that's how we usually understand it in English when we talk about a prophet. It means somebody who speaks to God and who hears what God has to say. And obviously, from all the interactions that Abraham has with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he is a Navi, he can hear what Hashem has to say. But says Rashi, he's also clearly a Navi in that he knows about the future. That's number one. Number two, the Ramban says, uh, the Ramban has an important principle, that Ma'aseh Avot Siman Labanim, it's not his original idea, he gets it from Chazal, but he applies it in many cases in Bereshit, and says what the ancestors do is a Siman, not just a sign for what the descendants are going to do, but is a sort of acting out, a sort of archetype that, in, uh, that, that somehow um, presages what the descendants are going to do. And the Ramban makes the point when Abraham comes to Shechem, and that's the first place he comes to in Israel, that is a forerunner of how when Yaakov's sons conquer Shechem, that is the first place in Israel that they have conquered. So Abraham, by going to Shechem, is doing, in a sense, the same as what Abraham's grandchildren, great-grandchildren will do when they conquer Shechem. Now, just a moment, Madeline. That is the opinion of the Ramban. I only bring it because it sort of um, parallels how Rashi sees this. Rashi is not saying the same thing. Rashi is not saying that what Abraham does is the same as what uh, the sons of Yaakov do. But what, what Rashi is saying is that Abraham is connected to what the sons of Yaakov do. Abraham is aware that the sons of Yaakov are going to conquer Shechem, and therefore Abraham goes to Shechem as a preparation for that, so he can govern there. Madeline, you have a question or a point? Yes, I have a question. How does uh, Abraham having Ruach HaKadosh fit into the fact that he uh, Akedat Yitzchak and having like 
wouldn't it, it would have been a true Nasir if he didn't know in the future that he would have had grandkids, but if he knew that he had grandkids, then how does that fit into it? Yeah, okay, oh, I see. Oh, 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 very clever. Sorry. When you started, I thought it was going to be an easy question to answer. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, well, if he's a novi, then he must know what's going to happen. Yeah, well, it could have been easier. I can't, it's, it could have been easier. I was going to answer but that very simply. Yeah. I'm thinking, oh, that's going to be an easy one to answer. I can answer that. <laughs> because sometimes people get nevuah and sometimes they don't. Hashem gives them nevuah and knowledge of certain things in the future, and he doesn't give them knowledge of other things in the future. But you, mm -hmm. your question was much cleverer than that. Abraham knows he's going to have grandchildren, great-grandchildren, so obviously that tells him that Yitzchak's not going to actually be slaughtered at the Akedah. Is that your question? Yeah. Okay, to which I would say, A, very good question. B, um, one a possible approach to answering your question is, uh, when we get to the Akedah, uh, a long way away, um, yeah. two years' time, Yitzchak will get to the Akedah, um, there's a very significant moment in the Akedah. Um, which I think is actually uh, a, a very important key to understanding our relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And that is when, um, I think it's in, I won't look at it now, but when after Hashem says to Abraham, don't slaughter, don't touch, don't lay a finger on the lad, Rashi says that Abraham says, I will now share with you my confusion up till now. On the one hand, you told me that Yitzchak will be the one who gives me descendants. On the other hand, you've told me to slaughter Yitzchak. I couldn't understand it. By the okay. way, I think, what I think is so important is the, is the message that Abraham had these doubts. He had these questions, but he didn't address them to Agadosh Baruch Hu until he had the answer. That's what I think. Yeah. And that's the, the, the part of the Nisayon. Exactly. That he, it's not just the Nisayan of killing your son, I mean, which is unimaginable. It's the Nisayan of not knowing what's going on, of being confused about Hashem's plan. Getting mixed messages. Getting mixed messages, which for a person of lesser faith would, would lead them to say, oh, it's all, it's, all, it's all a mistake. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I don't have to do it. Abraham said, it doesn't make sense. And therefore, I still have to. But nevertheless, I have to do it. And I think that actually works very well to answer your question. So Abraham not only had been told in Ruach HaKodesh that he's going to have great-grandchildren, more than that, because in Yitzchak will be called your descendants. Long before the Akedah, Abraham was told that Yitzchak would be the one who would um, lead to his descendants. And yet now he has to, to slaughter him. So Hashem is, if you like, deliberately giving him mixed messages. There's another thing I could have said, but I don't actually need to, because the answer I've just given, I think, is pretty powerful. Yeah. The other thing I could have said is, um, Abraham doesn't know for sure that Yitzchak's going to be the ancestor of the Shimon and Levi who are going to fight in Shechem. Maybe Shimon and Levi are going to come from some other child. Yitzchak, yeah. Yishmael, and then Adam and Keturah. And who knows, you know, in this hypothetical world, maybe after Yitzchak had died at the Akedah, he might have had another child from another wife, or Sarah might not have died, etc., etc. So that's still an open possibility. But actually, that doesn't work. Because as I've explained, Hashem actually told him that Yitzchak will be the ancestor of his children. So I hope I've given some approach to that. Yeah, it was very good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Now, why does Rashi say all this about davening for the descendants of uh, his great-grandchildren when they are going to fight at Shechem? And the answer to that is, if it's not for a particular purpose, why does the Torah mention that he came to Shechem? 
I mean, he must have gone to lots of places in order to get to Shechem. He enters Israel from, from the north, probably. He comes along the fertile crescent from Mesopotamia, uh, probably that way to you. And then he enters Israel from the north. And we know the geography. To get to Shechem, you have to pass through lots of different places. Pardon me. So why does the Torah say he got to Shechem? Uniquely, why doesn't it say he went to lots of other places? So the answer, says Rashi, must be there's something significant in Shechem. Now, we're not told something significant happened to Abraham in Shechem, um, except Hashem appearing to him. But therefore, so Rashi says, the significance of Shechem must be something that Abraham needs to connect to because of a future event. And Rashi tells us what that is. So given that the Torah specifies he came to Shechem, the Rashi thinks the Torah must, uh, there must be a significance about something that happens in Shechem. What is it that happens in Shechem? Answer, Shimon Alevi fight to conquer Shechem. Then Rashi says on the words Elon Moreh, he says, he, Shechem, that is Shechem. It's the same place. Because otherwise you would think, refers to two different places, Shechem and Elon Moreh. So Rashi wants to disabuse you of that notion. And he says explicitly, Shechem, sorry, Elon Moreh, that is Shechem. Now, why can't it be a second place? Because, why can't it be that Abraham goes A to Shechem and then B to Elon Moreh? And the answer to that is the weird construction of the verse. If Elon Moreh were a different place, and if Abraham were going on a subsequent journey, there was Shechem and there was Elon Moreh, just as I've stressed in English, where we need the word and. So in Hebrew, there would be the letter Vav. And he would go Ad Makam Shechem, and then it would say, The Ad Elon Moreh. And it doesn't say, The Ad Elon Moreh, it just says, Ad Elon Moreh. So it's not a separate journey, it's the same journey. The journey to Shechem is the journey to Elon Moreh, because Shechem and Elon Moreh are the same place. And why does the Torah mention Elon Moreh? So before we see the Rashi, I'll tell you why Rashi has to say what he has to say. And it's the same process as we used for before. Why does he mention Shechem? Because there's something significant in Shechem. So why does he give it the name Elon Moreh, especially if it's the same place as we've just said? Because there's something significant in Elon Moreh. What is that? Says Rashi, after the words, He Shechem, it says, Hero Har Gerizim Har Eval. He showed him the two mountains, Hagirizim and Har Eval, which, as we know from Pasha Kitavo, is where the Bnei Israel were to stand in order to receive blessings and curses when they entered into Eretz Israel. And in Sefer Yeshua, we find that's exactly what happened. Um, so, and that is called, if you look in the Chumash, in Devarim, Perig Yud Aleph, Pasach Kaftet, uh, it says, in relation to Hagarizim and Harevel, they are by Elon Moreh. So what is Elon Moreh? It's going to be mentioned other places in terms of the life of Abraham, but right now, for reasons I explained with Shechem, it must be because of something significant in the future in terms of what Klal Yisrael do in Elon Moreh, and the answer is, they go to Harevel the Hagarizim. And by the way, that wasn't an insignificant part of the history of the Jewish people. It's when they were entering into Eretz Israel and accepting, if you like, the covenant which Hashem gave them. And that's the significance of Har Gerizim and Har Eval. So it's worthwhile that Abraham sees them for himself as well. So that's what Rashi says on the words Elon Moreh. Sorry, Rashi continues about Har Gerizim and Har Eval. Shasham kiblu Yisrael shavuot atorah. 
the way Rashi puts it here is what I tried to say a moment ago, that's where the Jews received, accepted the oath of the Torah. That was the time uh, when they, they went through the ceremony at Hagarizim and Harreval, that was accepting not the Torah, that had already done at Har Sinai, but the Shavuot HaTorah. Then Rashi's got something very interesting to say on the next three worlds. The Hakanani as the Aretz. The Canaanite was then in the land. Says Rashi, Haya holech v'kovesh et Eretz Yisrael mizaro shel Shem. He, that's the Canaani, went and conquered the land of Israel from the descendants of Shem. Shebechelko shel Shem nafla because it, Eretz Israel, fell into the portion of Shem, when Noach divided the land, the world, for his children. Now, so before Rashi brings the clincher to show that the land of, Shechem, sorry, the land of Eretz Israel was belonging to the people of Shem, let's just understand what he said so far. He said that it originally belonged to Shem, and now, the Canaanite was conquering it. How do we know it originally fell to Shem? Because of what's going to come in a couple of chapters time, where Abraham is going to meet somebody called Malkitzedek, Melech Shalem. And Rashi, as we will see there, when we get to that, it's about the war in the middle of the war of the four kings and the five kings, is uh, we will read that Malkitzedek, says Rashi, was Shem himself, and he was a Melech king, of Shalem, which is Yerushalayim. So we see that Shem was the king of the area. But that's, you can't get a clearer proof that that area belonged to Shem. And it was given to Shem, like everything else was given in the world, by Noah. So because Malkitzedek was Melech Shalem, equals Shem, king of Yerushalayim, we see that the land originally belonged to Shem and his descendants. But now, Noah Canaan, the son of Ham, was conquering it. So, continues Rashi, Hashem el Avram. And therefore, Hashem says to Avram in the very next verse, To your descendants, I will give this land. Meaning, In the future, I'm going to return it to your children. They are the descendants of Shem. So, by the way, this, this sort of, uh, I think, um, adjusts our idea of what it means that Hashem promised the land of Israel to uh, Abraham. In a sense, what Rashi says quite clearly, he was returning it to the descendants of Shem who deserved it anyway, who, who owned it anyway. But of course, Hashem is still giving it to Abraham uniquely because Shem has got lots of descendants. And Hashem is picking out Abraham and his descendants, i.e. us, to be the recipients and ultimately the owners of Eretz Yisrael. So even though, as Rashi says, he was returning it, nevertheless, Hashem was defining which one of Shem's descendants were going to get it. Now, why does Rashi say all this? What word is Rashi expounding? I'm going to ask you again to unmute yourselves and anyone like to uh, explain which word, which word in the verse is, Abra, is Rashi basing himself on. And again, nobody unmutes themselves, so I will have to try my best and answer it. It's the word az. The Kanani az ba'aretz. What does it mean he was then in the land? It means he was then in the land 
and not previously. Now you might think before we go, before we get too excited about that, maybe it means it was then in the land and not subsequently. Well, that doesn't work because we know from the time, from this time, until the time the Torah was given to the Jews in the desert before they conquered the land of Canaan from the Canaanim. So it's clear that from that time forward, the Canaanim was in the land. So it can't mean then and not subsequently. So it must mean then and not previously. Why was it then and not previously? Why previously the Canaanite wasn't in the land? Aye, because it originally belonged to Shem and his descendants. So it must be, Canaanite Azba'aretz was because since uh, there was a time earlier when there were no Canaanites in the land, but they were, um, they came, and now we can give a further point, they came to conquer the land from the descendants of Shem. And Rashi says in his opening words on this section, he was conquering, it's like an imperfect, he was in the process of conquering the land from the descendants of Shem. Now, we've uh, understood... Oh, let me just finish this point, Shira. Uh, we've, sure, under sure. we've understood that us means he wasn't there previously, so he had conquered it from a time when he wasn't there. Now I'm asking, why does Rashi say he hadn't yet finished conquering? He was in the process of conquering. And the answer to that is because Melchizedek was still Melech Shalem. There was a Shemite, i.e. Shem himself, who was still there. So we can see that, number one, because Az means Canaanites weren't there previously, but they were there now. But because they hadn't taken control because Melchizedek was still Melech Shalem, that means they were in the process of conquering, but hadn't finished conquering. Hence, Rashi says, the Canaanites went and were conquering the land from the descendants of Shem. Yes, Shira. Um, can you hear me clearly? I can not very clearly, to be honest. Keep going and then we'll, we'll work it out. Okay. Um, when Abraham was trying to conquer the land, how did he know the extent of the land that he was promised? How did you know the extent of the land which he is as promised? As in, like, the Canaanites were there, but that wasn't actually, as in, how did he know that that was the extent of Israel? Like, not extent further. Um, later on, not too far away, actually, we will see that Hashem says to Avram, look all around you in all directions, and you will see, uh, all the land that you will see, I'm going to give it to you. Um, so without knowing too much uh, in order to answer your question, and maybe there's better answers, later on, Hashem tells him the area that he can see, which of course is not very much because you can't see very far. Um, that's the land. Okay. Um, I hear your question. Okay. <laughs> I'll stop waffling. I'm not sure of the answer. Very good question. So you're saying, how did he know that the Canaanite yeah. bits were also going to be given to him? Is that your question? Yeah. And like, how did just, in general, how did he know the actual land, um, like the space? Okay, um, we'll read on and we'll see more about what Hashem said to him. And maybe, I'm not promising, maybe we'll get an answer to that. Sure, thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, Rabbi Kennard? Yes. Maybe Abraham, uh, just a thought, maybe Abraham himself didn't get specific, um, like specific instructions as to what part of the land the Jews are going to get, but maybe... Abraham and Yahushua did because they were in charge of the logistical side of things. I mean, I'm, I don't know. This is just my thoughts. It's just, well, maybe. I don't know. The details, the borders are given specifically in Parshat 
um, Matot, or was it Marseille? Was it Matot? I think it's, uh, I can't remember which one. They usually come together. This year they're coming together. Um, uh, I'll have a look in a minute. Um, the borders are given there explicitly, but they were given to the, to the B'nai Israel. Okay. So that's, so I, I, I can't think of the top of my head of a time when Hashem, uh, or a Midrash, or a Rashi saying that Hashem gave to Abraham the precise dimensions. So I think we, I regard that question as a good question. You're right, certainly when the B'nai Israel went into Eretz Israel, they had to know what the borders were. And actually, Rashi says, they had to know where the mitzvah tuli Aretz, the mitzvah which depends on the land, i.e. true and so on, where they could buy. So they certainly had to have that knowledge. They were given that knowledge before they went in. Based on what you're saying, that's right, there's a little bit of noise behind you, Madeline, I think. It could be that Abraham didn't need to know, and that's why he wasn't told specifically. Okay, so end up with an interesting question from so, Madeline, can you mute yourself again, if you don't mind? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, in Sedra of Shalachlacha, and in, again, in a very similar but slightly different way in Akev, Rashi says that Hebron was built by Ham for his son, Canaan. And you might remember that. Um, uh, Rashi used it to prove that the worst bit of Eretz Israel was better than the best bit of, of Egypt. Um, and Hebron is the worst bit of Eretz Israel, uh, and because that's why it was used as a burial place, um, and yet it's better than the best bit of Egypt. Um, and Rashi there brings a midrash that says Ham built Hebron for his son Canaan. And the question of Mephoshim asks, well, Ham was um, from the same branch of the Noah family as Canaan. He certainly wasn't from Shem. So if the land originally belonged to Shem, why is Ham building cities in it? That's the question that people ask on Rashi. The Rashi here who says the land belonged to Shem and then it was conquered by Canaan, who is the son of Ham. And Rashi in Shalachlacha and the same Rashi in Akev, who says that Ham built the city of Hebron for his son Canaan. So I just mentioned that because it's an interesting question. And a couple of answers that are given. One answer is maybe that the bit of Eretz Israel that belonged to Shem was just Jerusalem and its surrounding areas, not necessarily the rest of it. Now, we know it was Jerusalem because Malkitzedek was Melech Shalem. Maybe he didn't have all of Eretz Israel falling to him, and maybe Hebron did fall in the Yerusha from Noach to Ham, and that's why Noach, sorry, Ham built Hebron for his son. Or you can say that Hebron was built at the time of Canaan's conquest. Canaan goes and conquers the land, as Rashi said, and then he invites his dad, Ham, to come and join him, and Ham builds a city for him. So those are a couple of the answers to what seems to be a possible contradiction in Russia. But we will stop there, and next week, Imiyat Hashem, we'll start with Pasuk Zion. May I thank you very much, the three of you who joined me here on um, uh, Zoom. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you feel a bit more connected than just hearing Shira, the podcast afterwards. And everyone else who hears the podcast, I hope you enjoy it. Yes, Shira. I was just saying thank you so much. Oh, that's my great. Yeah, thank you. It was thank very you. good. Thanks, Ash, you there? Yep, yeah, thank you. Sorry for my lack of activity. No, I'm, uh, but I could see your name there the whole time. So I knew. Yeah, you no, I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that. I hope you learned from it. Thank you for your good questions, which helped me learn. And Imir Hashem will meet in the same guys next week. Great. Thanks very thank much. Thank you. Have thank a good night. Bye. Bye.